The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everyone, this is the A Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And we are on episode eight. Episode eight. Man. Can't believe it. It's been a wild ride so far. Yeah, the, the, these last couple episodes, we've been really getting into it. And um, I think we're going to get into it today some more. Um, yeah. Laying down the foundation of what our beliefs are and just trying to make it clear for each other. And for as ourselves. As best as possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This this one might be interesting for me to explain. This, yeah, this is a really important foundational episode for the Buddhist side of things. Hmm. And it'll be interesting for me to explain as well. <laughs> so today we are talking about the soul or the spirit, or if I may add, the self. Or the soul and spirit. <laughs> and I'll, t- I'll probably touch on the body as well a little bit, too. Um, yeah, me too. Oh, okay, good, good. <laughs> We're all on the <laughs> same page. <laughs> yeah, um, approaching this uh, topic, like, I think for me, it, it's kind of clear, but like, in Christianity, a lot of people don't get it. And I don't think I fully get it either. Um, it's just such a weird topic. And I don't know. It's like it's such a weird concept. And I don't know if we have a ton of information to go off of. Or, I mean, there there is a lot of information. But um, trying to interpret it, it just, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I I can relate to that. I mean... Kind of conversely, uh, we have, like, Buddhism has a lot to say about the self. Um, not Maybe not so much with the soul, and you'll see why as we get into it. Um, but, yeah, it's like one of those topics where I think by, by Buddhist definition, we don't understand uh because we're unenlightened <laughs> but hmm, fair enough <laughs> yeah. uh but it's something to understand uh if that makes sense yeah yeah that that makes sense and i think i mean that almost could probably say be said about a lot of things at least from a biblical perspective like we don't understand it but we can understand it or we yeah should strive to understand it maybe yes i like i like that okay well let's get started then because i have some notes here and i i keep thinking of things i'm gonna have to pull up my uh my bible app here because i just thought of something to read um so when we talk about the soul or spirit in in biblical terms they're they're actually two different things the soul is not the spirit and the spirit's not the soul and 
to add to that, there's a third part of that, and that's the body, because that's what man is, is three parts. And I think it's kind of, it kind of goes without saying, if you know, like basic Bible, that when God made man, he said, let us make him, let us make man in our image. And we discussed in the previous episode of deity that God is a trinity. There's three in one. And I think that really goes with what, how man is built in God's image. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to look at this real quick. I might have to jump around a little bit, but yeah, in Genesis one twenty seven, it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. Um, And even before that, I mean, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Um, And then, oh, the next part doesn't really pertain to this, but having dominion over fish of the sea and fowl of the air and cattle. And then... And when we see how God made man, the Bible tells us how God made man. In Genesis 2-7, it says, uh, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a, a living soul. So it has all three parts in that verse. There's man being made of the dust of the ground, God formed man and a lot of people like to um have this image of uh of a pre-incarnate Jesus the son in his in his pre-incarnate form like literally forming Adam out of the clay out of the dust cuz Adam actually means red or red man like he's actually made like it describes like red clay um and he forms him out of this the dust of the ground this dirt Um, and a lot of people always say like, he's like forming him like with his hands gently and like, so precisely, um, and there, there's, there comes a body, but it's just a body at that point until he, until God breathes his, his breath, his spirit. Cause we talked about how breath, like breathing or breath or wind is likened to, the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then out of that result, man became a living soul. So we see the three aspects of humanity's triune nature, if you will. Um, And we see that compared to the triune nature of God. But what is the body, soul, and spirit? Um, well, we, we let me jump over to the verse that we see that those three words together in the Bible, or at least one of the spots, um, in First Thessalonians five twenty three. It says, "In the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God, your whole spirit." and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to the the Christians, the saints there, about how he, about how the spirit, soul, and spirit are preserved. So there's the three parts of man again. 
the, the three parts, I, I've heard a lot of different uh, explanations of what these three parts are, what they do, what exactly are they. Um, and I think the simple, like really good example that I've seen and heard was, uh, and it, like once I heard this, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, but I will actually hold that off for a second because we, I want to kind of define body, spirit, and soul. Bodies obviously are flesh, you know, our physical, tactile being. Um, that's what we're, that's, uh, the, the Bible describes it as a, a temple or a tabernacle or a vessel. Um, it's something that we're, that we use to be transported and to do our duties and to live life through. And we, I, I always hear this refrain, like you are a soul and you have a body and you're filled with a spirit. Like, but who you are is the soul that soul drives the body. Basically it's you, like it's who you really are. Like that this, this, flesh and bone isn't who I am. The soul is who I am. It's the, that spiritual dimensional being of myself of who I really am. Going back to the body, the body is sometimes people call it the outermost man. It's the thing you can see. And then the soul they say is the outer man, the psyche um, that's yourself, your identification. Um, a lot of people like to say it's your personality, your consciousness, um, your uh, mind, emotion, and will. That's usually the three parts to the soul that, like if you see a diagram of like, what is the soul? It's your mind, your emotion, and your will. Um, and your soul kind of drives that uh, kind of well, that's like the origin of your mind, your very mind. And I've even, I've even heard the mind, that part of your soul being called like the seed of your soul. It's like the very center, the very nature, like your heart. The Bible says stuff about your heart. It's not talking about your blood pumping organ. It's talking about the heart of heart, like the mind, the seed of your soul. Um, it's who you are. Um, it's what makes you, you. And then the spirit is more of a, it's called the inner man. It's, it mainly helps you connect with things, like helps your soul and body connect to things. And I saw, I, I saw this really good um, kind of explanation. I'm not sure how, how accurate it is I that I want to commit to it, but it was really good in, in, describing how the soul is you, right? So you're the soul and how you interact with the physical world is what your body is for and how you interact with the spiritual wor uh, world is what your spirit is for. And like you can lean one to another, like to you can lean more towards one, which is kind of like what fasting helps you do is instead of like indulging in food or even water, like it helps you make room for the spiritual, if you will. So you can lean one to another, like this, the, the soul kind of submits to like, to those 
interactions, if you will. The body and spirit are more like experiential, like they ex they do the experiencing for you or for your soul. And so our essence gets to have that experience through the physical world and through the spiritual world. And I think it really like that your soul, that your very, your you-ness, your selfness, if you will, has kind of that choice to make between spirit and flesh. Like who do you submit to? Um, and the spirit is kind of supposed to to lead your body or your uh, your soul and really have influence on your body too through a spiritual life. Well, let's see. Let's start with let, let me go a little more on the spirit because I know like the the Bible talks about man's spirit and actually let me pull up First Corinthians two. That's one of my favorite uh, chapters of the Bible. It talks about the spirit. Um, because Paul is telling the Corinthians that he's not speaking in, in, uh, in words of, he says it with enticing words of man's wisdom, but demonstration of the spirit, the Holy spirit, he's talking about the, the like God's spirit, um, and of power, um, and how you shouldn't, your faith shouldn't stand in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he says, for what? Uh, well, let, let me go to verse two. It says, but God hath revealed them unto us things, them being the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Um, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searches or searcheth all things. Yea, the deep things of God for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man, which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So our, our natural spirit that God gives us, our, our spirit of man, according to scripture, we, we can't know anything of, of the things of God without something else. Like the spirit of man just cannot really discern that. And the, the Bible calls that being spiritually discerned. Uh, it says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Um, so the, the, the spirit of man, like there's no real way to make that connection to your soul. Um, the things of God without something else. And that's the spirit of God. The, the Bible calls the spirit of man dead until the spirit of God quickeneth it or make it alive, makes it alive. Um, some people like to say the spirit of man is just dead, like he's not there. Um, but I kind of beg to differ because of what 2 Corinthians 2 says is that the spirit of man knows the things of the world and the things of man. So he's obviously not dead, but he's like, in a spiritual sense, dead to the things of God. So like the spirit of God makes that alive and quickens the spirit of man. Um, and I mean, we can even go into the spiritual circumcision of man, which is where our, basically our soul is circumcised from our body. And like, we're not bound to the flesh anymore because our, our, I think our three parts of our body has its own kind of, I don't want to say mind, but it has its own desires and its own ways of driving you because you know like you get a whole packet of powdered donuts in front of you like you know in your in your soul you're like I really shouldn't eat all of this but your flesh is like yeah this is amazing and like you can feel that conflict within you like you really can and it's a struggle and people 
and it's not like something to make light of because people actually really struggle with that. So you see struggles in the flesh against the will of your soul. You also see this struggle of spirit against the will of your soul as well. Like you don't want to go this way spiritually, but your spirit, like the spirit of man will want to go that way. Um, and it, it's, it kind of takes a, a training of your mind because at the very end of, of this chapter in 2 Corinthians 2, it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So when we receive that, when we have that, the Holy Spirit within us, we get the mind of Christ as well. Like we have the mind of God to be able to discern those things and to be able to have that renewal of the Spirit. It says, the Bible says that our, our spirits are renewed every day. Like we have to make a, conscious effort to think spiritually like okay today i'm gonna you know maybe like read from the word because that's how our that's how the spirit of god in us communes with our spirit um and we it it, it goes almost to that mindfulness like you have to have that mindfulness of like walking not in the world but in the spirit as paul says and walk not in the flesh but in the spirit yeah, I was just about to say that sounds a lot like like mindfulness or what we might call heedfulness. Um, just kind of an, a, an attentive uh, awareness of where your mind uh, tends toward. And yes, yes. Tends, that's a, the great root word of what I'm just about to bring up. Intentional. Like a lot of Christian teachings or radio shows will call like we'll say living intentionally intentional living um and that tend you you want to tend towards those intent like those intentions um those ways um and it's it's work it's not it's not just like from a salvation through the blood of christ that mindfulness that intentional living doesn't just come naturally because we still have the spirit of man we still live in the flesh so we do have to make a concerted effort to live in the spirit not that that does anything for like eternal salvation but for our it's called sanctification our life that we walk to be able to live in that sanctified we make an effort but it is not by our power as as paul says but it says but he says it's by the power of God through the spirit of God. So there's a huge, I think there's a huge emphasis that a lot of Christians miss on having the spirit of God and like knowing what to do with that. Um, And I think really when, where it all starts is like reading the scripture because that's how the Holy Spirit will communicate information to you like that passage in first Corinthians said about the deep things of God you don't know the deep things of God until you read about it and and when the spirit communes when the Holy Spirit communes with your spirit you'll you'll have that understanding Um, so so you you mentioned the sanctification thing and like if if that sanctifying intentional living or whatever like if it it doesn't have a part to play in 
your salvation, as it were. Um, so I think some people would ask, like, why, like, why bother? Like, <laughs> well, the, uh, I mean, that is a great question, and Paul addresses that in some of his epistles, like. Well, if we have if we have liberty, shall we continue to sin? God forbid. Like we can sin if we want because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Like our sins mean nothing because Jesus took care of that all. Like we can live however we want, really. But is that is that beneficial to um the will of God or the edification of his people, of other believers? or of non-believers, like, do we want to really continue in those ways? Um, and there is something to be gained through our salvation. Like, okay, if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's great. Like, I'm not, I don't have to worry about anything else because Jesus took care of that. But there is a reward in heaven for, for the saved believers. Like, there are rewards according to our works, now, people, some people say we have to be good to get to heaven. No. But if we want to gain rewards, and those rewards are really just ultimately for the glory of God, um, the uh, the rewards in, in uh, the believer's final judgment is, is beneficial. And it, I think it has a connotation of where your place in the heavenlies will be like what is your position like are you like maybe and I, maybe i'll describe this a little bit like the judgment it's called the judgment seat of christ for the believers for the saved people at like right after we get raptured up we get caught up in the air we have the judgment seat of christ and what that is is jesus god looks at all of our works that we've done for him and if it wasn't for him, he just burns it up, basically goes away. But if it, if the works were done for him, then they are basically cashed in for gold, silver, and precious stones. And the works that aren't are wood, hay, and stubble, as the as uh, as Paul describes it. And those just get burnt up. And it says like the things that we've done that are not for God. Like they'll burn up and we're basically saved by not having to deal with that by fire because it like it goes through a fire and it like burns up and we're saved by that fire. Like so we don't have to worry about those things that weren't that weren't um, like redeemable for this gold, silver and precious stones. So there is a purpose to living sancti a sanctified life as they would call it. Um, Would you say there's also like there, there's also the potential, like, you know, if you were if if you were a believer or, a, you know, a, whatever you would classify, a, a, you know, someone who is saved like a Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Would you say there's like almost a like a there's a potential danger to not living sanctified, and that like you could. I don't know, like become a non-believer. No. So what I believe and what many Christians believe is that we call it once saved, always saved. So like if you get saved, 
there's really no way that God will forsake you for that because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. That seal is unbreakable. Like we can't, we can't do anything to lose our salvation because we didn't do anything to gain it anyways. Jesus took care of that for us. So, but there is something to say about a loss. And actually Paul describes it as we, when our works get burnt up because we didn't do it for, for God, you know, the wood, hay and stubble get burnt up. We are suffering loss. Like that's how he describes it. Like, oh man, I should, like, I could have done that. Like, like, or I shouldn't have done that, or I could have done that differently. So like it would have glorified God and been edifying for the body of Christ. So that's suffering loss, but you still get rewards out of the things you've done and you still get eternal life through salvation. So there's still, there's loss, but there's, you're not lost. Like there's no way to, to lose that. Okay. And there, I was going to go somewhere with all of that. Um, and that, that kind of does sidetracked you. No, no. I, I think that kind of does lead into, um, spirit soul and body body soul and spirit whatever order you want to say like those three parts have a purpose and like the body in eternity is still going to be there so usually people usually the the bible will describe when you die your body goes in the ground your spirit is returned back to god because god gave you the spirit and the, the bible says that your spirit returns to god and then your soul goes to heaven or hell, like one of the two places, like yourself actually goes to heaven or hell. So when a believer, a Christian dies, their soul and spirit goes, goes up to God, goes up to heaven. Their body stays in the ground and it's called be that body's asleep. That's how Paul describes it. And then, um, but that's not how it's going to end. Cause remember heaven is just temporary when Jesus comes back in what we call the rapture, Paul just calls it, calls it being caught up, the catching away. Um, he's actually going to, Jesus resurrects the body of the dead and remakes the body of the living. If there's like a Christian that's still alive when he comes back, the dead in Christ rises first. So their bodies are changed into a new body. And then the, the living rise next and they get a new body as well. And these new bodies are made just like Jesus' body when he rose from the grave. He could go through walls. He could he could eat food, but he could, you know, disappear in a second, you know, go through walls, fly up into the second heaven. Like it's a it's a it's a new body without the the curse of the blood of man. And it is like an eternal body, basically. Um, so here's a fun question, maybe. Sure. <laughs> and I think like a lot of people, a lot of people ask this, like it's one of those popular kind of silly questions. And I think you may already know what I'm going to ask. But like, what, what age are you, you know, do you oh, yeah. appear as like? Yeah. That, and that's a, that is a fun question. And I don't think we have an answer, but I hear a lot of people and this would make sense. When God made Adam and Eve, he's described as a grown man. Adam is. When Jesus Christ starts his ministry on the earth, he was 30 years old. When he 
was crucified and died and buried and rose again, he was 33 and a half years old because his ministry was three and a half years. And you, a Jewish man can't start a ministry until he's 30. Hmm. Um, so we all speculate that we're going to be in the prime of our life and as a 33 and a half year old person, um, with exceptions because I'm, you know, I'm around that age and I'm not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I could, I could suffer a little sculpting and, uh, a little better health or whatever, but we have to remember that like, according to the Bible, we're in a cursed, we're in a cursed body anyways. Um, and it's not, it's, we're not perfect, but this new body and this resurrected life will be a perfected sinless body. Yeah. Maybe 33, maybe there's a, a standard that God has for all men that we don't really know about. Um, but Adam and Eve were, you know, basically described as like a full, like full grown human being. So there's no reason to believe that we're not going to be chubby babies with bows and arrows floating around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you can see also like when, since God said that, let us make man in our image. When we see like the angel of the Lord or a pre-incarnate, like, uh, appearing of Jesus, he's referred to as a man. Like, uh, I think he went into the tent of Abraham. And um, that's when he and uh, I think this was described as the angel of the Lord. And some people think it's the pre incarnate Jesus. A theophany is what the theological term is. Um, he went into the tent and, you know, they saw him and the other, the other angels with him as just men. And uh, he, they were talking and eating with them, and he was a man. So there's no reason to believe that it, we won't be full-grown people. But again, with that resurrection, there's other resurrections too later on in the timeline of prophecy, because ra- the rapture will stop, will start that prophecy clock up, and you see resurrections for like Israel and the the people on the earth, and all of these resurrections bring back the body, soul, and spirit together. And going back, I never got to this analogy. The analogy of body, soul, and spirit is like a bike tire. You have the outer tube, the one that eats dirt and gets scraped against the road all day. That's our outermost man. That's our body. The inner tube is actually what gives us form and gives us purpose and that's the soul. Like it's conformed to our body. So it's like, it's us. Like the soul apparently looks like us, maybe a little better. Um, but it's, it conforms to this outer tube. But then the air that fills it is the spirit. It gives us life. Without it, we would just be a flattened, useless tire. Um, but with that, with that air, with that breath, the spirit, we're filled and we're given purpose and we're given like vigor and, and life to be able to live as a inner tube, as a soul in a body, in that outer tube of the tire. And that's the, that's the analogy that like made it click with me one day. I'm like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. Um, so yeah, that's the... Spirit, soul, and body. I love that you describe the body 
as an outer tube. Yes. Ow, my outer tube. <laughs> <laughs> and it all goes back to the, uh, I think it, it kind of lends itself to my fanciful uh, thinking about like, like extra dimensional, like reality, how like our spirit and soul, you, like you can't cut us up and see it because this three dimensional outer tube goes through and through the you there's like physical stuff all throughout it um but if you see it in a in a extra dimensional view maybe it's different and there's a lot to be said about the nature of things in that realm and we'll probably talk about that at some other time yeah so the spirit is the would you say the spirit is the the breath that God had breathed into man? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And the natural man, we have our own like we have that spirit of man. Like it's just it's called the natural man. Like we just know the things of the world and the things of man through that spirit. Like I know what I know how to, you know, I know you know the things of the world. I, eating food gives me strength and pleasure, um, but through the Spirit of God, I know, like with the Spirit of God, I can know the deeper things that Scripture tells us about, and I can apply that to not only the soul but also to the body. Um, so it it goes, it goes three ways basically. I think that's really all that I had. So, so the body's obviously the physical body. And how would you describe the, the characteristic, the, the, the physical characteristic of the soul? I think the physical characteristic of the soul, because I see it very literal, like, when you're like, let's say the soul, like the person dies and their soul is what's taken up to heaven or taken down to hell. We see that people are recognizable. Like the man that the rich man that died and went into the tormented side of hell recognized Abraham and Lazarus. It's like, Hey, dip your finger Lazarus in water to give me some relief. Like, so I could just have a drip on my tongue. Like he, he knew who they were. Was that Lazarus? Yeah. I think that was the the person's name was Lazarus, but he saw Abraham too. Like he knew who Abraham was. He knew the, their faces. So I think the soul is like, looks like us. And I'm not sure to what extent, because like if you can recognize people, um, you will like you. You obviously have a form, and uh, you know, I've I've been told many times that like the soul basically like conforms to your body, and it's like basically the spiritual realm version of your body. But it's like who you actually are. So like, like the body is so, just a glove. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It's really fascinating. It's really interesting to hear the the composite makeup 
from your side and it's I, I think there are some parallels like um I think you were describing the soul with like three different components of will uh emotion and uh mind and mind and <clears throat> that kind of in very superficial ways mirrors s vaguely uh what we talk about um and i like what you said about like the the heart and how it's not like it's not talking about the anatomical heart um and it's it's funny that you mentioned that because uh the word the Pali word that gets translated as mind, uh, chitta, is actually m also means heart and not the anatomical heart either. Right. Um, so it's like the mind heart. Sometimes you'll see it translated as the the mind heart or the heart hmm. mind. Um, and I thought that was interesting. But um, <clears throat> I guess it, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. Okay, so the so soul. Um, I'm 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 gonna touch a tiny tiny bit on the soul before diving into the real the real meat of it. Um, and so the soul is one of those topics that the Buddha was asked about, and he refused to answer. Um, <clears throat> and and it is because whether a soul exists or not doesn't really affect the like doesn't really pertain to the the path to awakening and it might be because uh, from a buddhist uh perspective we would say that we might say there actually is no soul um <clears throat> and which sounds kind of sounds contradictory um there might be a soul there might not be but what re what we really focus on is the self which might actually tackle the topic of the soul um when you delve into it um it might it, it'll address the 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 issue the the fundamental issue of this of soul or spirit or any of that um just kind of subsequently or consequent consequently um incidentally maybe actually that's the better word it'll touch it'll it'll answer those questions incidentally so the the self so in buddhism we have this concept uh the original word is anatta which when you break it down atta um is the pali version of uh the sanskrit word atman and you might be familiar with this term atman um or atman um and if you're if you're not sure if you are familiar with it you might be familiar with it when put it into context in one of the most uh well-known uh, uh indian people in the world mahatma gandhi his name mahatma maha atma it's the great the great soul great being um 
And so Atman or Atta is is a a being is being, um, and it, it even the the word uh, the word actually also uh, ties into like bodhisattva or in Pali it's bodhisatta, um, an, an enlightened being. Um, being so this this phrase this concept of anatta though gets really interesting when you look at that 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 the beginning of the word anatta is a negative a negation so anatta's not self um, and you will hear you will hear some people say no self um, but I think not self is a much better translation for very nuanced reasons and we'll look at we'll look at this um so what is the teaching of not self well the the buddha in his four noble truths described conditioned phenomena um as impermanent as unsatisfactory and as not self um and this really pertains to what we identify with as ourselves, because that's really what is at the center of this problem of of clinging and of suffering is how we identify ourselves as ourselves. And so, so this might it might seem like okay, the Buddha is taking a firm position on the existence of a self or a soul. And that might be the case, but how it's presented is more of a, a strategy. A strategy on how, how to approach identity. And so, so in short, anatta, not self, is basically stating or claiming or positing that what we think of ourselves um our identity our fundamental nature is actually not self and so you also get these um especially in mahayana buddhism you have this idea of emptiness which sounds very distressing and you know, nihilistic, but uh, the, when you look at that word, shunyata is actually voidness of self. And it's it's describing these things that we think are self and are not because they are void of a, of selfness, you know? Um, and so I'm going to stop rambling about self, not self, and really and, and dive deep into one of the fundamental s- structured teachings on uh, on identity and this these are called the five aggregates of uh, panchakanda in pali and this word kanda that we 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 translate as aggregate that sounds very very technical and you know what is what does it mean um and it also you can also translate it as heaps or masses piles so there's these five fundamental heaps that 
come together to form the appearance of self, the appearance of identity. And what are these five khandas? Um, you might recognize some of them from what you explain the spirit to be made of. Um, and also, it not just, you'll see. So the first khanda, <laughs> the first heap is is what is called rupa. And rupa literally means form. And this is the physical form, the physical body, but also sense objects like sights and sounds and tastes and tactile sensations. These are also considered to be of the physical aggregate of form. The second, uh, the second aggregate is, is Vedana, which is sensation. Sometimes you'll hear people say feeling, but that is such a loaded word because feeling, oh, emotions, right? No, sensation. The Buddha said there are three sensations possible, pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant, a.k.a. neutral. So everything you sense, you can look at it and see definitively, is this pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And some, when you get really into it, um, some people break it down into 108 sensations. Uh, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, past, present, future, internal, external, uh, etc. It adds up to 108 Um very analytical they break everything down and so the so this leads to the third kanda the third heap the third aggregate of perception and perception is the function is the process of 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 labeling things of identifying things the color blue tree you know it's without perception it would just be like we are form we are sensing this like blob of experience and this is the part of our of of experience that is like okay let's let's form coherent you know distinctions between things um and then so that leads to the fourth uh aggregate which is uh sometimes called volitional formations sometimes mental formations and these are conditional responses to sense contact. And so this will be anger, sadness, joy, frustration. Uh, basically, basically, like how, how should we react to these perceptions? And with coupled with the sensations, like, oh, this is pleasant. Okay, uh, you know, well, you won't be like, ah, pleasant, but, you know, ah, unpleasant. And so the fifth uh, aggregate is consciousness. And it's really interesting uh, what is meant by consciousness because it's not like some, you know, the, the thinker in the background behind everything. It's actually broken into six different consciousnesses. So, so you have the, let's take the eye, the eyeball. You have the form of the eyeball and the neural, you know, network or whatever that makes sight possible. So the form of the eyeball and also the sight, the sights, 
the site objects. That's part of the form as well. And so when contact is made between object and the 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 eyeball uh, site, you know, um, sensation occurs, perception occurs, and what does the sensing is the eye consciousness. So each of the sense doors, as we call them, um, has a, a a consciousness per se. A, a it's the sensitivity to outer uh, phenomenon, outer experience. So, um, we, we use these ideas of like the sense doors as kind of like, um, where the experience actually happens. So like the eye, the, the, the nose, the tongue, the ear, all, all of our experience happens precisely at that door. No further, no further out. Um, and so that, that sensitivity, um, the awareness is that consciousness. And I, I said that there was, there were six consciousnesses because in Buddhism, there are six senses. Um, so the, a Buddhist version of M. Night Shyamalan's movie, the sixth sense may be a little more boring. It's not like I see dead people. It's, um, it would be more like, oh, I think thoughts, um, <laughs> because, because the sixth sense is the mind that senses thoughts. Thoughts are the, the sense object of, of that sense, of that sixth sense. Um, because we are not our thoughts. Um, thoughts are things that naturally occur within, you know, our mind, um, they are conditioned just like all the other senses are. And um, I don't think this is a, a like an official definition, a Buddhist stance on uh, what, what self should be defined as. But one of the definitions I've heard before, I can't remember where I heard this, but is, is what can you absolutely control? And when you look at all of these when you look at anything, you can see I don't actually control that 100%. The body will age against our will. Uh, we will see things and think things against our will. I mean, if you ever sit down and try to control try your thoughts, you can't. Right. It is. Uh, we use this uh, metaphor of the monkey mind. It's like a. It's like a monkey that's i don't know hopped up on caffeine or something jumping from branch to branch never stopping it's always going always going um also a waterfall it's is another good metaphor the so, thoughts just keep flowing and you can't so stop it this last like five minutes of what you're talking about like made me think about um something that i hear a lot in christian circles and we call it instead of doors we call them gates like the eye gate and the ear gate and the mouth gate yeah, and uh, and they always say, you know, like, like, don't have your eye gates open to where, like, everything will affect you. You know, like, everything you see will affect you. And um, I remember this one conversation with, uh, with someone at church just happens to be in the bathroom. And he was going off this, like, extremely, like, detailed... Um, 
detailed uh, idea, and it it was derived from one of Paul's letters in Scripture, because he talks about like we talk about um, subduing our mind, and he was putting an order to like we see it, and like we put that in our thoughts, and. Uh, there are, I, I forgot what the order was. I'm going to have to refresh my brain on that. But like, like the thoughts become, or like maybe it comes through, you know, your eye gate and it, it goes through your brain and you process that into a thought and it goes even higher into an imagination or maybe it's imagination into the thought and like the more, the higher it gets, the more it's going to affect you like in your spirit and in your soul. And, uh, he was like explaining all all this to me and I'm like, I just got to dry my hands. (laughs) He's like going into this extremely deep teaching in the bathroom. I'm like, wow. I mean, like you have, you have something that I have not fully grasped right now, but like, it it was amazing. Like he's not. He's not wrong. I mean, there's, there's this process, um, that, that does that, you know, you have to, there has to be eye consciousness. There has to be an eyeball. There has to be a, a, a visual object. And when the sense contact happens, it's either pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And then from there, you know, perception, you form an idea of what this object or thing is. And then um, I forgot to mention the the so the volitional formations <clears throat> it's they're called sankaras in in Pali and these it, it's so it's your reaction and it could be an outward action or it can be an inward action um, and this is kind of I think this is really where uh, where clinging occurs because this this teaching of the five aggregates is directly related to how we cling. Um, and I mean, everything in Buddhism is related to how we cling because that's the biggest problem. Um, and so, yeah, it's like from this simple sense contact, you, you start like rolling out these convoluted stories of, Oh, I need, it's like, Ooh, good. I want it. Ooh, bad. I don't want it. And reasons why I should need it or should get rid of it. And from there, it, you know, it, it just spirals into, uh, into Dukkha. And what you said is subdue your mind. Um, I think that's actually, it's not on my wall. There's a quote, um, the translation is a little different, but um, there's a there's a verse from the Dhammapada that is, you know, to do only good, to not do not good, and to subdue your mind thoroughly. Um, that and the it, the verse ends with this is the teaching of the Buddhas, and that's like a very boiled down like explanation of the practice of the eightfold path. But subduing your subduing your mind is like a central, central, maybe even the most central part of Buddhism, and the, what you're saying about sense gates, sense doors, whatever, um, 
there are many many places in in suttas and uh, everything else that 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 talks about uh, putting a guardian up at that sense gate and that's what the awareness is that's what that's what mindfulness and and heedfulness is is is, um like one of the most one of the hardest uh things i think um to be mindful of and it, it takes like a lot of practice and to be able to see it is when the sense when the contact occurs before your mind starts doing the gymnastics of creating a narrative like can you be present at the sense at at, at the moment of contact and the moment sensation arises and notice it happening and notice notice the volitional formations start start creeping out and grabbing that simple experience and turning it into something so convoluted and that's that's not to go on off track but that's part of what meditation is about is uh is giving yourself giving your 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 focus your attention to something and practicing remaining with that and being able to use that to see to to be with thoughts and sensations and whatever uh actually un unfolding you know arising sustaining and then changing and falling away and that practice really helps to give you an idea of what exactly is happening up there you know um yeah um it makes me think about also paul talks about how like man had like man had like had vain imaginations and then like it goes into this talking about how man's like mind is corrupted and then like it eventually goes into like he corrupts his flesh and like how like just the simple things like you see something or hear something and then you think about it and it like gets planted in your mind and then it like manifests itself through your actions of your flesh so like it there's like a cycle to it and it like like with with a biblical perspective like if you take things in without guarding your heart like it can affect your life physically um i mean even uh even the bible talks about like a merry heart doeth good but like uh um i forgot what the wording for it was but like basically like a troubled heart like dryeth the bones like like you know depression is a very real spiritual issue that can affect you mentally i mean uh physically like it can it can degrade your body you know it can break down your body so it, there's like it seems like there's a well it doesn't seem like there is a relationship between all of that as well um i don't know how applicable it is oh you just described 
karma. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> of like, the that the idea of like uh, volitional formations of like how you know like you 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 have those those ideas uh, and you know desires and everything and like if you if if you are not heedful of what arises and then and like you know and use that awareness to be able to say is this is this a beneficial thing or is this is not um if you're not careful that will that will change that that'll kind of form uh your habitual thinking and and action and yeah like you if 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 you aren't heedful if you if you don't watch that and are you know diligent about it uh you will you will harvest bitter fruits of as as the dhammapada puts it the, the bitter fruits of fools um yeah and and the opposite is true if you if you are heedful if you if you are careful watching these things um happen and kind of like and choose is this good is this bad like what am i going to do right now you know if you do if you if you make wise decisions you will you know obviously bear good fruits in a way um beneficial things will come of that Hmm. yeah that's kind of along those same lines as like you reap what you sow like the bible talks about but that's more of like i mean it's not so much like a lot of people always think like karma or reaping what you sow is like like some power is working behind something to kick someone in the butt but it's like from a biblical sense it's like if you, you know, if you don't treat your body good, you're going to probably get bad health. If you play with yeah. fire, you're going to burn. Like you could burn. If you do something stupid, yeah. it's gonna, probably it? going to result in something stupid. stupid. games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> and win yeah, I mean, that's, that's a thing to kind of reemphasize that in, in Buddhism, the idea of karma is not like a a judgment scale like like some people think you know oh you know just wait until his karma gets him <laughs> yeah it's like no it's yeah yeah and like instant karma, karma is not instant in many cases <laughs> um it can unfold like that seed can you know be be sitting there for for some say lifetimes before before bearing any fruit but but yeah it's it's not a cosmic justice system it's as as we would describe it's a a natural law of cause and effect you might get in a wreck um that's more of a kind of instant karma thing thing that i was thinking because you always see like videos that say this driver got instant karma and it's because they cut someone off and then they crash it's like they're driving irresponsibly, but like, no, I, I think I see the long term that you're talking about. Like, it's not necessarily going to yeah. pay off now. I mean, if but later on down, it's like an investment. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, 
I mean, you get like these illustrations of, of, you know, oh, because you, because you were a robber in this life and the next life you, you know, will be robbed or something. And like, maybe, but that's a very, you know, colorful narrative, but it's more like, you know, if, you know, you, you, you yell at a coworker and like one, there's in this internal karma that you, that you, you know, plant seeds of, okay, angry at coworker, like check, that's a feasible way to act. And we've taken from this experience and we will implement that in the future. And then there's outer karma, like outer consequences of they will, you know, fear you they will resent you um and maybe they'll tell other coworkers, hey watch out for this guy's temper man wow um and so it, it works yeah and it and works in, your like inwardly and outwardly and yeah there's a the the opening verses of the dhammapada are probably like some of my favorite because of how illustrative it is um it says uh all experience is, is perceived by mind, led by mind, and shaped by mind. Meaning, like, your experience happens at your sense doors. And how you, def- how you kind of, like, perceive that experience depends on, on your mind. Um, but these next, these next lines are the most important. They say, speak or act with like a deluded mind and suffering follows like the wagon wheel to the hoof of an ox. And it's such a strong image because an ox is, is, is struggling to pull the wagon behind. And it's this heavy burden. And the next line mirrors that exactly. And it's speaker act with a peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never departing shadow. A shadow is always with you, dependable, and bonus, it's lightweight. There's no weight to it. You're not dragging it. It naturally follows along. And it shows kind of a, a freedom of what what wholesome, peaceful actions bring with. Um, and it's like the thing, if you, like the saying, if you, if you never tell a lie, you don't have to remember anything. Yeah. It's kind of a, oh, exactly. yeah, I don't need to remember all these false stories I told. Like, And then the stress happens, you start sweating, and you worry, and uh, there's none of that when you're... And then all the behavioral analysts <laughs> will catch on. Yeah, and it's, there's just a freedom in... Yeah, I think... Truth. And what is the that? Truth will make you free. Uh, the song, Me and Bobby McGee's Freedom's Just... Oh, what is it? Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Uh, I don't know if that pertains to this, but it kind of feels right. So, Hey, I did want to clear up the uh, subduing your mind thing. I think I got the, that wording from you, but it, it's worded differently in Scripture. It's bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that's talking about casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought. So yeah, 
bringing your your thoughts into captivity like to conform it to in the biblical view to the obedience of Christ and that's not that's probably specifically mm. talking about the mind of Christ because that's what we have and this this uh this uh passage talks about like walking in the f- uh, uh, not walking in the flesh and not warring after the flesh um and not our warfare is not carnal. So like talking about how the mind and the thoughts affect, um, basically this fight we're fighting, um, and how you should, how to, and it tells you how to bring it into captivity. It doesn't, it doesn't just say bring it into captivity. It tells you how by the obedience of Christ. So, uh, yeah, there's a little more specification in there, I guess. But, yeah, like, subduing your mind is, like, a really good, like, uh, paraphrase of that. And that's what I've always said, like, uh, I mean, there's a ton of different verses that talk about stuff, like, that principle. Just not subduing your mind word by word. Yeah, yeah. But, so I just wanted to clear that up because I I just remembered. <laughs> that's like, oh, yeah, it's captivity, captivity. not I don't know if that if that word's ever been used in a Buddhist uh, explanation, but I I you see a lot of a lot of uh, uh, taming the mind, like in uh, I think it's in chapter seven or eight of the Dhammapada. It it there's a great verse that says um, that Fletchers will fashion arrows, carpenters will fashion timbers, um, irrigators will will guide the water flow, and the wise will tame their mind. And so, tame mm. is a word you see a lot that pops up, and that's mm. you know that's that is. That is what the the wise. That is what those who practice the path are actively uh, are actively trying to do is tame. Um, and that goes back to the whole monkey yeah. mind and like how you like sometimes you just can't control your thoughts. Yeah, it's like don't think about that. Don't think about that. And like, oh, whoops, I thought about it. Yeah, and the the I think the important part of that is that if like because you can't control like you. You can try really hard and press it down, and uh, but like, that's probably going to cause some 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 harm along the way. Um, there are ways to 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 suppress uh, thoughts and stuff, um, th- your mind. But um, the I think the most important part is learning how not to get caught up in that 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 train of thought um there because because there's a difference between it's like if you're sitting in a coffee shop or an apartment watching a very busy street um it's not a good idea to get out in traffic and stop traffic but there's a way in which you can be present for the traffic without getting stuck in it like you're not watching every single car um and maybe even like 
trying to follow one of the cars or something, but instead you're just like flow of traffic, you know? Okay. Yeah, I think it, that's a good point that like, you can't n- like not think about it. Like you, sometimes you just can't keep those things from popping up in your mind. But like, I know, I don't know if this is uh, applicable, but the Bible does say like, whatsoever things are true and good and lovely and of good report, like think on these things, like, Hey, keep your mind busy at least, but like, don't concern yourselves with like the worries of the world. Like think about something else and it's kind of a distraction if you will, but like, yeah, it goes back to how those thoughts affect you. Like, let's think of something. If we're going to think of something, think of something good. Yeah. There's, uh, the Buddha has several different methods uh, to, to practice for, um, for maybe concentration or, or just overall subduing your mind. And, um, they're one of, one of them is like distraction, like, Oh, you know, instead of focusing on this, let's focus on the Dhamma. Let's focus on, uh, you know, the four noble truths or something. And, there's actually a, a sutta that um, it's called the Sabasava Sutta, and Sabasava means all the taints. And taints, asavas, are also called defilements, and they're they're defilements of the mind. Um, and he gives like seven different, very very different methods on what to do with certain different defilements. And so there's enduring. Um, it's like just endure mosquitoes and the hot sun and or there's developing or there's there's a there's seeing um and and that's actually seeing is one of the ways to abandon the defilement of self of 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 clinging to a self a doctrine of self um and this is actually really pertinent to the topic um, because we've gotten way off, but <laughs> this is kind of going into a mindfulness episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this, I did want to bring this up and I completely forgotten. Now we're here. So, um, so one of the ways of abandoning the defilements, um, I think it's actually the first one he bring, brings up is called abandoning by seeing and seeing, um, he he talks about uh, uh, the view of self um, and clinging. There's actually four different types of clinging if you really get into it. And one of them is clinging to views and one of them is clinging to doctrine of self. And so I'm not exactly sure what this one falls under, but one of those two. And he talks about uh, about clinging to to these, these very deep profound questions of who am I and it's who am I was I in the past was I in the am I going to be in the future what was I in the past what am I going to be in the future am I am I not these questions and there's this this idea of not clinging to these and he calls all of these very convoluted deep questions I love this so much he calls it the the wilderness of views or the thicket of views. Just this tangled wilderness that is really hard to get through. 
and he says, um, you know, someone might might cling to these views, and you know they're lost in that in the thicket of views, but but to 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 get untangled from these views is inversely to think about this is suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the path leading to the cessation of suffering or in short, the four noble truths. And so it's like you take this, this idea of getting tangled in, in these ideas of self, these views of self and wow, all, everything that comes from that, you know, all the complicated questions that you probably will never be able to answer. Instead, just focus on the, the four noble truths and, uh, and see what, you know, recognize the truths in, in, instead of, oh, am I, what am I, who am I, you know, am I not? It's like, oh, this, okay, there's suffering. Okay, there, there's the origin of suffering. Okay, this is the cessation of suffering. Okay, wow. Like, you can start recognizing the Four Noble Truths in your experience instead of, instead of trying to, to figure out what the soul is, you know, like, or what the self is. Um, hmm. Yeah, so that's, I think that also really kind of helps better understand why the Buddha never answered in the affirmative of, you know, is there a soul? It's like, see these views, these thickets of views get us lost and distracted. That's, and that will never help us figure out the, well, the cessation of suffering. This conversation definitely um, probably adds to our title for this, <laughs> for this. <laughs> I think definitely we're going, we're looking at, soul spirit and mind i think that's going to be added into that because i think we really I don't, and i don't think we could have done this topic without it yeah i mean the mind oh. is is one of the the six senses which is one of yeah, it's part, part of the soul the five aggregates which is right. what makes up yeah the it was really interesting to see how much um comparison we could draw off of each other's um and like for some reason it takes me to what solomon says and he says there's no new thing under the sun like like every idea is out there has already been thought of <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah that's really uh that was really cool i think that's gonna probably wrap up this episode um we're, i don't know if we covered it all but we'll probably have to go on some like mindfulness journey sometime oh my gosh yeah and go further on to that because there's definitely something to be said about that. Yeah, that is more one eighth so than today. <laughs> mindfulness is one eighth of uh, of Buddhist eighth, noble eightfold path. So there's a lot to be said go. about that. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, um, good good conversations. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening and watching. Um, yes thank you we wouldn't be talking without you we probably would but we also appreciate <laughs> you reaching out to us and you guys yeah. can email us at baptist and buddhist at gmail.com you can yeah. like and subscribe and hit the notification bell on youtube subscribe leave a review on all of the podcast places that you're listening to like us on facebook 
Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Instagram. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, guys, for listening and all and, that. And, and we'll catch you. And and we've been we've been uh, coming up with some really fun ideas oh, for the man. future. Uh, you guys, if you guys are bored now, just wait. Because <laughs> we have some awesome stuff coming up. Oh, I cannot gosh. wait. It's going to yeah. be amazing. Yeah. And you guys so will love fun. it, too. And we'll give you, it'll, we'll probably give you guys some homework, too, as you, as you uh, come along on our journey. So, yes. Thanks for bringing that up. Ed. Yeah. It's going to be awesome, guys. It's going to be awesome. Well, I think that does it. So, thanks again. And see you guys later. This has been. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This has been The Baptist and The Buddhist with Mark and Brian, the twins. See you later. Good night.